Hello, and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by Jeannie and Bruce Hahnemann. They are the founders of Elizabeth Ministries International, which offers hope, help, and healing on issues related to relationships, sexuality, and childbearing. Jeannie also founded Navigate Betrayal, which is an online learning management program for women made by women who understand the pain of infidelity. And Bruce directs Reclaim Sexual Health, which is a state-of-the-art online recovery program for individuals struggling with pornography and other unhealthy sexual behaviors. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's Thank great you to for be having here. us. We enjoy being here. Oh, I'm so glad this worked out. Um, so just, can we just jump right in? Can you share your story with our listeners? Okay, well, the story starts with me. I was the person who uh, found pornography at the age of nine years old. Um, and at that point in time, the only thing I knew about it was that when I would look at it, it would give me some kind of a, a rush or a pain relief thing that I just had never experienced before. And I had a lot of pain. I had a pretty rough childhood, a lot of things going on. And it turns out that the pornography actually um, somehow gave me some soothing. It was like a go-to medicine or whatever to help me. Um, so I, you know, where I put it, where I, I found it, from my, I found it in my dad's workplace. I put it back after I looked at it. And then I would continue to go back there on occasion whenever I felt a little bit stressed or whatever and go back to it. However, um, one of the times that I looked at it, uh, I was caught, caught in the act of, of putting it back. And what I was told at that time was that pornography is a guy thing. And because it's a guy thing and I'm growing up, um, I should just, you know, look at it if I need to, but make sure I always put it back. But the real thing about pornography is the secrecy. Secrecy is, is a big key because it's it's shameful and whatever else. So I was told, don't ever let your mother know that you're looking at that stuff and don't ever let her know that it's my stuff that I look at also was the advice from my father. So um, that set up secrecy as a, a very important thing. And there were a lot of secrets I had kept over the years for my father as, as we we're going along the way uh, because of his infidelities and because of his behaviors. So um, I learned that, you know, you can hide the shame just by being secretive about it. Just don't let anybody know that it exists. However, um, I also isolated then. I became very lonely, very isolated, and kind of all on my own. I kept trying to want to fit into groups, but the groups of people that I gravitated towards were groups that were in some unhealthy behaviors also, and so it wasn't helping me heal. And I really didn't understand at that point in time anything about the God part of it and the sin part of it. All I knew was that it was helping me cope with the things that were stressing me. And so I just, uh, you know, I went in from there. I tried to follow it um, because being a guy thing, I thought, well, I would fit in with the rest of the guys, you know, if I participated with them. But I never did fit in with them. I was kind of the geek of the neighborhood, so it just didn't work. Um, what I did notice, though, um, as I moved along, was that I could, I could stay away from it for a while. It was something you could avoid. But even after you avoided it, it was always still there. It was right around the corner, and you knew it was your go-to if you needed it. And then it became a subconscious thing. You didn't have to think about it. it your body kind of called forth the desire to go look for it. And, and so you followed it when you needed it, quote, needed it. And so that's how that worked. Um, now, as I started to get a little older, got into high school and whatever, um, I was still struggling with it, but on and off, on an on and off basis. You know white knuckle for a while and then go back to it again. But I got to a point where I was such a loner. I was so isolated and so segregated from all these other groups to 
really started to get very, very depressed. And the depression kept getting worse and worse and worse until at one point in time, I uh, went to a, a favorite spot of mine, a lighthouse that's on a large lake that we live near and we actually now live on. And um, I was watching a lightning storm drift over the lake and as it's passing away from our area. And I just imagined myself, why don't I just walk towards the lightning and eventually the lake will get deep enough and uh, it'll all be over for me. So I was suicidal at that point. thought there was no hope. But I didn't do it. And what I did instead was when I got to a phone, there weren't cell phones in those days, but when I got back home to a phone, I called Jeannie. And, you know, we weren't real close at that point in time. We didn't have a real long going. But somehow God, I guess, inspired me that she was the person I was supposed to call and talk to. And we had an incredible conversation. And I know that, uh, you know, she would tell you things about that conversation that she didn't know about me. And I didn't know I was telling her. I was like, I was spilling my guts out on that situation. We grew up in the same neighborhood, and so we knew each other. Um, and when he shared all of this, it overwhelmed me. I didn't know anything about pornography. Um, so when I got off the phone with him, I went and asked my dad. And my dad had kind of taken Bruce under his wing, as Bruce said. He came up from a very abusive and dysfunctional family. And my father um, knew him and had kind of you know wanted to, to help him. And so my dad then at that point understood and knew I had shared with him. So um, my dad was a very strong moral man that pornography was wrong. And so he began to try to mentor Bruce out of some of the, those kinds of behaviors. But through that process, we got very close very quickly. Uh, fast forward a few years, um, finishing college, uh, we were positive that once we were married, this wasn't going to be a problem anymore because we would be able to be sexually intimate. We thought it was all about sexuality. Well, that wasn't the case. And now, of course, we know so much more about pornography, but in those days we didn't. And so three months into marriage, we began our first counseling sessions to deal with this unhealthy sexual behavior that was interfering with our intimacy. Throughout our marriage, um, we've been married now 47 years, but throughout our marriage, we would, would really work together against this problem. And he would try anything and everything that was new that came out to try to help. He'd do really well for a long time. Then there'd be some kind of a crisis, something would happen. Um, we now understand it had a lot to do with stress in his life. But the big thing that happened for us was that when internet porn came along, he had a friend who introduced him to internet pornography and that he went back to the idea of secrecy. He did not share that with me. I thought we were doing well. I thought he was getting along fine, but that wasn't the case, was it? No, it wasn't. And they, the, the grab from internet pornography, it's so different than anything in any print-based stuff that existed. And so I was just totally consumed by it, but secretive about it because I didn't want to go back there with her and talk to her about the fact that that's what I was doing again. So I was just you know, using it in a very secretive manner. But it, it just took me down paths you would never, ever, ever want anybody to go to. It was so against my morals. It was so against what I knew about God and understood about life and marriage and everything else. But it became compulsive. It became such a strong pull that despite, despite wanting to be rid of it, I couldn't. It just, I couldn't put it away. And so I tried basically the kinds of things that you normally would. And I was active at church. You know, I went to, uh, I went to, um, spiritual direction for a while. I went to the sacraments. I used sacrament reconciliation on, on a regular basis. And what I found out, though, is that it wasn't just us that didn't know anything about pornography. It's people in the church didn't know that much about it either. And the priests would just, I got worried about having to tell the priest every time I went to confession about the same sins. So I would jump around. I would go to different parishes 
and find one that the priest didn't know me so I could say my confessions there. But uh, they would tell me things like, you know, pray harder, you know, and try harder and, and, and you know, and use the sacraments more. And what I found out is that that didn't really help. And so I was getting back to that point again where I was starting to get hopeless. I was starting to get even suicidal again, saying, well, if this is what it's going to be, I don't know if I can take this. So I found a, a group to belong to, a 12-step group. And the first meeting I went to, they gave a man an award for 35 years in the group. It's his 35-year anniversary medallion with that group. And I, I just I went home from that just wringing my hands saying, I can't do this for the next 35 years of my life. Then I became strongly suicidal. I was just really too much to take. And about that same time, and, you know, we're, we're missing some details for, for, for time frame here, but um, it became a passion of mine to understand what was going on in people with unhealthy sexual behaviors. And so I worked for the Catholic Church, and in my my reputation, I guess, at that time became where um, if there was anyone who was struggling with some kind of issue with pornography, masturbation, infidelity, any of those things, they would be sent to me. So I became a lot of penance for a lot of people in our diocese. And at one point, that's what happened to Bruce. He went to one of these priests who I had done a training for, and his penance was to go see Jeannie Hahnemann at Elizabeth Ministry International. <laughs> and, of course, he had no idea who Bruce was. Um, and so that's when Bruce came to me, and he confessed the issues with the Internet pornography. And it, it was so devastating for me. And so I understand the pain of spouses when they you know, have this kind of a disclosure that's just overwhelming and depressing as well. So while he was thinking suicide, I began thinking divorce. So we were both in that kind of a place of giving up. Satan really had a grip on both of us. Um, but then, by the grace of God, uh, we had a profound experience, and we knew that we loved each other, and we knew that God loved us, and we had to stop being against each other and be against the problem. And so we began looking for more and more support for Bruce. He tried everything, in-house treatment. We did everything that we could find that was out there. And then by the grace of God, again, um, I found online a new program. And this program was cutting-edge science, and it was based on retraining the brain. And so he enrolled in that program. Long story short, he turns out to be the third person in the world that was in this program. Uh, this, the individual who funded this program put in over $2.5 million into the research and development of this program because uh, he's a faith-filled man, and he believed the idea of what Bruce was so depressed about, once an addict, always an addict, that that could not be true. That if God could heal like he did when he walked the earth, the lepers, he could heal today as well. And so in that processing, he created this amazing program with brain scientists from Harvard and top people everywhere around the world that they created what they call um, the brain science of change, exercises to change your brain. So Bruce enrolled. Um, he got a new spiritual director and uh, the full force of his faith, the support that both of us were trying to give each other. And this time we did not let secrecy win. You see, deceit and dishonesty are so much a part of this culture of evil. And so at this point, before this, hardly anyone knew. My dad knew. That was about it from our family. We began asking for help from everyone and anyone that we could. And we took it out into the light. And as a result of that, we were able to um, not only find the healing Bruce needed for his brain and his spirit, 
but we also were able to save our marriage. And we then um, were very blessed to talk to our bishop. We had a new bishop at the time. He, by God's grace, again, asked me to expand Elizabeth Ministry from just the childbearing issues, as we had been for years, into the areas of sexuality and relationships. And he said, and I'd like you to start with pornography. So I was like, well, Bruce wasn't with me, but I, I said, I, I, I need to tell him. So I told him, and he put this particular link to, to this uh, program online onto the diocesan website. So many people came to this website. They contacted the diocese and said, this is great. How do you know about us? We're brand new. And so we ended up going there, uh, teaching their entire staff about theology of the body and many of the Catholic concepts related uh, to sexuality. And then, um, again, by the grace of God, this wonderful gentleman made the decision he's no longer doing a secular version. He's only doing this Catholic version. And he's not even Catholic, so it's kind of cool. But the this program now, um, the bishop, our bishop asked Bruce to take an early retirement and myself. And so we've been spending this so-called retirement, <laughs> going around training clergy, helping people, um, and really taking this this beautiful resource that we have and combining it with the Catholic faith and helping people. Wow, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so what, do you have more to add? No, no. No, okay. <laughs> what advice do you have for people that struggle with porn addictions? Well, first of all, there is hope. That's the most important thing. Don't ever become hopeless over it because that will not get you anywhere. Your brain has to be engaged in order for you. It's like the Pool of Bethesda story, you know, where the, the guy laid there for 37 years. I used to think, my gosh, that poor guy. But then I counted my own history of my addiction and it turned out to be 46 years for me. So I thought, oh man, he was better than I was <laughs> at getting the message. But the point is that there's always hope. And God is there, but you have to make a decision that you want to help and that you want to do the healing. And don't ever let anything be your get-out-of-jail-free card or any kind of excuses for what you're doing. Grab it and pursue it, and you'll get there. You really will. And if you're fortunate enough to be in a married relationship, make sure that you keep that marriage relationship forefront as well. And trust your wife and, and do what God intended. You know, man should not live alone. Um, do it together as a couple as much as you can. I know I realize I caused so much pain and whatever in the marriage, but she was strong and faithful and together, the together part of it, that you're not isolated, you're working together. That's the real, the real encouragement that I have for people. And one of the things that we recognize is, you know, the culture out there is trying to determine what is this problem that's so pervasive. Some call it porn addiction, sex addiction. Some want to call it compulsive use. Some just sexual sin. doesn't matter what title it has. But I think more importantly than asking, you know, why this addiction or compulsion or whatever you call it, why that is to ask why the pain. Because the majority of people that are caught up in unhealthy sexual behaviors, they're doing it to numb themselves. They're doing it in a way to heal that that hurt, that isolation feeling, uh, that lack of control feeling. And so we really need to look deeper into what is causing all this pain. 
And uh, for us, our background is Bruce taught uh, chemistry at the college level for many years, and I worked for the Catholic Church. And so the combination of, you know, faith and science together is what we find in this program that is called Reclaim Sexual Health, um, the Catholic version of this now. And um, it is it is really powerful to look at that and to say that in the experiences that people have in childhood, they call them adverse childhood experiences, many of those damage or destroy part of our autonomic nervous system. And that conditions us to fall into any kind of addictive behaviors. Exactly. That, that system puts you, you kind of think of the word autonomic as almost as automatic, it almost sounds like the same word. What it does is it, it puts your system into the ability to fight, flight, or freeze and normally your executive center of your brain, your frontal cortex, has control over that, can take a look at that and say, okay, this is, uh, this is something I should or shouldn't uh, do or something I should or shouldn't react to. But when you, when you damage that system, that nervous system, by continual use of something like the pornography or you know, any kind of those unhealthy behaviors, what happens is there's a short circuit that develops and you no longer go to your brain's executive center to check on what's moral, what's right, what do I want to do. You just basically live out of your subconscious level. You live out of your gut feelings that are down there. And that's how people get railroaded and they start doing things they never dreamed they would do. And um, the only way to counteract that is that you have to redirect your brain to think again, to start controlling up on top. And that was the part that was fascinating for me. That's why I finally was able to use Reclaim to start healing was because of my background in the chemistry and whatever, I understood, hey, there's really something going on here. And because there's something going on, there is a solution for it. And if I follow the, the prescription for the solution, I'll get to where I need to go. And that's what everybody else needs to understand about this as well. You know, it used to be for many years, um, our society, you know, used the the idea if we just, you know, criminalize some of this behavior, if people see how evil and awful it is, you know, if we punish them, that will help. Well, that hasn't worked. And a lot of the things were based off of studies that were done many years ago uh, with rats and the idea that if they were given water, they were given drug-laced um, water, they would always pick that drug-laced water. Well, there was a, a gentleman who made the, the observation that something was wrong with this. And so instead of doing this in these, these critters and these isolated cages, he created something that's now called the Rat Park Study. So do you want to explain that a little, Bruce? The Rat Park Study was creating an ideal environment for rats. It had a nice habitat. It had all of the different kinds of toys and things they could ever figure out what to do to play with, and a bunch of other rats. They were all together in a big community. And it was the community that he set up that he wanted to observe and see, okay, what's going to happen now in a social culture rather than an isolated culture? And what he found is that, yeah, sometimes the rats would go over and they would taste the cocaine water, give it a slip or whatever. But most of the time, they all were drinking the regular water and none of them became compulsively addicted to go after the cocaine water every time. So I think it's important for any addict that might be listening or someone who loves someone who's hooked on this is to say that really, you know, too often we have thought that it, it would be sobriety is the opposite of addiction or compulsion, but that's not really it. The opposite is connection. The opposite is community. It's communion. 
It's being united and connected with others. And so looking at what is the pain behind this kind of behavior? How can we ease that pain in a healthy way? Look at how can we help people become more connected into community? And usually these adverse childhood experiences are keeping someone from feeling free enough to be vulnerable in a relationship or free enough to be authentic in a relationship. And in order to have true intimacy, those are the two things you need, authenticity and vulnerability. And so those are the things we would encourage either someone who's struggling with pornography or other unhealthy sexual behaviors or someone who loves a person who's doing that. We need to find a way to ease the pain and help them move into a healthier lifestyle. Wow. And then for what advice do you have for people, I guess you just sort of covered that slightly, whose loved ones are struggling with it, if you're suffering from the betrayal or what advice did you have? You know, that's really hard. And that's why we started the program Navigate Betrayal, because spouses really suffer. And again, I, I, I don't want to be sexist about this and make it look like only the guys are hooked on unhealthy on, on sexual behavior, um, because it's both ways. And, and we deal with people and, and you know, women and, and men who are caught up in unhealthy sexual behaviors. And we also work with spouses who have been betrayed that are both male and female. Um, but since it does seem to be the majority of people looking for help, are that are betrayed our wives and so our first program navigate betrayal is for catholic women and we are in the works of providing one that will be coming out for catholic men as well who suffer that kind of betrayal i can't even begin to tell you the kind of trauma that that causes because it goes right down into the root of who we are as a person and especially for a woman her greatest desire is to be cherished and you don't feel cherished when this happens in any way shape or form all too often when people go to the church for help, um, again, as Bruce said many times, clergy, uh, parish staff don't understand or know what can help or what can hurt. They are well-intentioned when they say pray more, but the secret, I think, came a, a couple Sundays ago when we had the reading about Aaron and her holding up Aaron when he was praying. We all need somebody to hold us up, right, to do God's will. And so that praying can't just be pray you know, yourself, obviously that's a component, but it has to be that others are praying for you. Um, one of the things that I was blessed to do this last time around that we had to deal with when I wasn't keeping it a secret was that I had a group of, of other women who were supporting me. And all I had to do was reach out with a call and all I needed was somebody to tell me I was going to get through this. That usually can't be family or really close friends because they're going to get angry at your spouse. They're going to become protective of you. So you need to have other people who are willing to tell you, you can get through this and I'll support you. And so that's what we try to do through Navigate Betrayal. Wow. And then I guess kind of just like the broader effect, what effect does it have on like families and family life in general, um, like with kids and like the extended family? That's really a problem. Um, and that's where we find the bulk of the time we do. The programs Reclaim Sexual Health and Navigate Betrayal, they're online programs and there's lots of involvement there. And what we find the bulk of our time is as consultants to those who just reach out and need some help. And my background is as an early childhood specialist and parent educator. And so I watch and I listen and I observe and I see the trauma that goes on within the families. We were blessed enough that um, 
when he got caught up in internet porn, our children were older um, and off in college and one was even married. So we didn't have little children underfoot. When I'm dealing with a lot of the, the families today that are going through this when they have little children in the house, they need somebody to come in and help them with those kids and give them a break to be able to work on their relationship and work on their individual and personal healing. Again, another opportunity for a parish to support a family during those crisis times. The bulk of what um, we've also discovered is that children are going to be picking this stress up and it makes that vicious cycle because now this is an adverse childhood experience for them. Part of why Bruce had the problems he did is that his dad would be categorized as a porn addict too. So th that whole vicious cycle. So something's got to stop that. And what has to stop that is having other adults around who can provide what is needed for the children that the parents might not be able to provide at that time. In the past, extended family like grandparents might be around to help. Now we're so diverse in where we live that the faith community really needs to step up and be, be those extra aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas to help out. And then um, just kind of going to the broader, like HLI is all about like human life and family flourishing all over. Um, does it break down respect for human dignity and lead people to see them as objects? Absolutely, it, it, it's 100% objectification. At some point in time, you totally lose con control, you lose touch with what the value of another person is because these people that are, and many of them are nowadays aren't even real people, they're, you know, computer generated. But what you do is you concentrate on the objects and you concentrate on projecting a false image of yourself as being dominant or, you know, all these different kinds of things that come out uh, and they go in so many different areas. You lose touch with the fact that you're dealing with real human beings and that you're objectifying real human beings. Yep, there's definitely a connection with everything you do here at Human Life yep. International. Yep. And when sure. our bishop asked us to add this to Elizabeth Ministry, I was at first like, well, how, do, how does this fit with all, you know, miscarriage and infidelity? I mean, infertility. How does this all really, you know, fit? And the bishop was very blunt with saying, well, it's all defending dignity. And I was like, oh. Okay, it really is, isn't it? You know, and really, it does boil down to that: is that um, we need to not just focus on one issue per se, but what are all the issues that are affecting this? And we know that not protecting the dignity of a young child, giving them these adverse childhood experiences, sets them up for these unhealthy sexual behaviors. These unhealthy sexual behaviors set them up for needing or thinking they need to have an abortion. So it's all interrelated. And so how do we address that issue? And I, I think it's going back to really helping people understand God's plan for sexual health. You know, if we're supposed to be able to give ourselves freely, fully, fruitfully, and faithfully, we can't take any one of those parts away for any aspect of our relating. And so there's a um, also a, a connection that Sometimes, you know, people misinterpret when I say this. I'm not saying we came from monkeys, but the study was done on the monkeys. So it gives me that that opportunity to say that. And I think there can be some truth to this. And and it was a, a man named Lionel Tiger wrote a, a book called The Decline of Males. And in that book, he talked about an island of monkeys and where this one particular monkey, Austin, that um, he was studying particularly, he had three partners. And he put one of the partners on the birth control pill. 
And Lionel stopped, I mean, not Lionel, Austin stopped relating to that female and only the other two. Then he put the next one on, stopped relating to her, only the one, then put all three on, he stopped relating to them, and he started being promiscuous with any other female monkey on the island. Then they put all the female monkeys on hormone contraceptives, and Lionel started masturbating to the point of hurting himself and raping violently. Now, you draw the conclusions there, right? But we look at our culture and how many women are on hormonal contraceptives, what effect that is having, what interrelational kind of effect that is happening. And at the same time of the rise of using hormonal contraception, we have the rise of the use of pornography, masturbation. So I think there really is a correlation and connection here that we need to go back to God's plan of accepting and loving the idea that it is not, sex is not supposed to be recreational. Somehow that's where our culture has decided since the 60s it is, right? That it's not for recreation, it's for procreation, it's for bonding and babies, and we can't separate that. And I think if we can get back to that, and that's why we love Human Life International, all the work you're doing, because it does fit so well with the work we do with Elizabeth Ministry International, but also with our work with Reclaim and Navigate. Yeah, I never, that's such an interesting, like, that they did that experiment on the monkeys and got those conclusions. It definitely, like, I guess I always kind of thought about, like, okay, yeah, you have contraception is going to increase abortion and, like, porn kind of fits in with all of that. But that's interesting that it's, like, it could be such a direct effect of being on contraception. And then is there anything else that you'd like to add for our viewers? Anything you'd like to say for them? Well, I really want everybody to understand that there's a, there's a whole nother science on the forefront that's going on right now. It's something that's called epigenetics. And uh, what that does is it uh, explains that there is more to our behaviors and our predispositions and whatever than just the genetics that we inherited. Because especially in a field of addiction, uh, a lot of times people are struggling looking for the addiction gene, the one thing that makes everybody addicted. And uh, what we're finding out is that it's more the group that they lived in, the, the people, the environment that they've lived in, the lack of con community support and whatever that expresses whatever genetics are within that person that lead them down any of these trails of addiction. And so we can, we cannot just say, well, I'm an addict because my parents were addicts or, you know, whatever, because the expression of the genes for addiction, if they're in there, are only a result of how we have been treated how we have lived our life and how we've treated others. And that for parents, that's a very important thing because you know, as you talked, you asked a little earlier about what effect does this have on families? You know, myself, let's say I, I made a decision that I wanted to stop this addiction, this behavior, this compulsive behavior with me. I didn't want to pass this on to future generations, to children, to grandchildren, whatever. And so by stopping that, I'm helping to cut off that path of uh, epigenetics where the environment is encouraging the future generations to be to be addicts and that could be addicts to any kind of thing not even just the pornography I'd want to share um, something I think that's very interesting. Um, when this gentleman who started the, the foundation of what we claim is, uh, he brought together the best of the best in the fields of addiction and, and brain science. And at one point he asked them, he said, you know, can you kind of give me kind of a synopsis of what you would say would be a person who would be possibly, you know, contributing into being in, uh, someone addicted to pornography. And so they worked on that 
for quite some time, and they came up with the top three characteristics, which I think are very interesting, intelligent, sensitive, and spiritual. When I heard that, I thought that describes my husband. I mean, he's taught chemistry at college level. He has to be intelligent, right? Sensitive. He's the one that cries at all the Hallmark movies, <laughs> not me, you know, kind of thing. And one of the reasons that I fell in love with him was our relationship based on a lot of talk about God and spirituality. So that described him very well. And I look at that and I think, whoa, if Satan's going to go after anybody, isn't he going to want to go after the intelligent, sensitive, and spiritual people? And those are the ones that get caught up in this unhealthy sexual behavior very easily. And so to understand that you're not some kind of a pervert, you're not some kind of a uh, reject from society, that you are a very important and special person, and God loves you unconditionally, and the faith community wants to support you unconditionally. That's the message we have to get out. And that you can use the same kind of brain science that caught you caught up into this, uh, the brain science of behavior change. They found a way to take those same things about our, our brain and the way it works and help a person retrain their brain and get out of that. So there is hope, there is help, there's healing. And we would encourage anyone who needs that help to contact us and to contact um, the support they need through Reclaim Sexual Health and through Navigate Betrayal. And I'll link those websites in the awesome. description of this too. This, just going back to what you just said, mm -hmm. why spiritual? Did, he, did they explain that at all? Or, sure. Because intelligent and sensitive makes sense. But. Okay, sure. Um, I like to give this kind of a, a description. It helps my brain figure it out, so maybe it'll help others. And that is, if two people are walking down the street and they're in a conversation and they pass a house that has a beautiful rose garden, they might not even notice it because they're so ingrained in their conversation. Next couple of people walk by and one of them points it out and says, oh, look at those pretty flowers. They all look and go, yeah, those are really pretty flowers. Next couple of people walking by, these are the ones that would become addicted. Next couple of people walking by, they're talking, and when somebody says, look at those roses, and then another one of them goes, wow, I wonder what kind they are. Then they go over there and they go, oh, they smell so good. Can you believe, you know, God created so many different varieties of roses, and they start really getting into this. The homeowner comes out and says, what are you doing in my yard, right, kind of a thing. The kind of person who is spiritual is always looking for that next experience of God especially in nature, that next experience of something that just is mind-boggling to them, you know? And so if you combine intelligent, sensitive, and spiritual, you want to know more. Well, what does the internet do? It provides this novelty of click, 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 click. And for people to understand that internet pornography is really not about sexuality, it's really about that novelty. And the idea of being able to uh, keep seeing something different, something more that causes an excitement and a rush, not just in a sexual way, but in an emotional way, in a, a spiritual way that just is, is unlimited, right? I mean, we're here in, in beautiful, you know, Virginia and fall and all the leaf colors and the things we've been seeing here along the Shenandoah River. I mean, it's increased our spirituality, right? Well, so does the, the variety of the beauty of the human body. And when it's misused, that's what happens. When it's used correctly, it can adorn the Sistine Chapel ceiling, right? So it's a matter of saying what brings us deeper into our spirituality is a greater understanding of the depth and the intricacy of how God has created the universe. And so that's it's foundational. It's just a distortion of it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. 
fact, that reminds me of what Chesterton had said. This famous quote by him is that every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Hmm. Yeah. We were created in the image and likeness of God, who is Trinity, who is relational. So we're always hungering for that connection, as Bruce said in his childhood. And, you know, he was this this nerdy geek, right? You know, um, and, you know, he didn't fit in because of that necessarily with other people, but he was hungering for that connection. A lot of people then find that it's safer, it's easier to fantasize that kind of a connection when they don't have it in real life. Hmm. That's interesting. It also is kind of interesting if you look at today's society, how many people are addicted. It's like how many people are just searching for that spiritual that they don't know. So they just look for it in a distorted way. Exactly. And that's what our culture, you know, just throws at us is all the perverted ways (laughs) instead of God's ways. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. Yeah. I'm so glad that you were able to come. Um, And just for all of our listeners, I will link the websites in our bio. And then please like, follow, subscribe, turn on notifications. And if you're listening on YouTube, oh, if you're listening on YouTube or Rumble, like, follow, subscribe. And if you're listening on audio platforms, please follow and share with your friends. And keep on living a culture of life. God bless.